This podcast is produced during the pandemic and hence the audio quality is home produced. Welcome to Beyond the Lines, a podcast by Roly about books, culture and our times. As early as the 1930s, jazz found its way into Bombay's nightclubs, bars and cultural life and had a thriving career for the next 3 decades or so, influencing its cinema and Hindi film music. My guest today tells this forgotten story of Bombay's golden jazz age in his wildly popular and award-winning book Taj Mahal Foxtrot published by Roly Books. Naresh Fernandez is an acclaimed writer, editor and journalist at scroll.in, one of India's leading digital dailies and in my eyes one of the most prolific voices in the Indian media space today. Naresh of course is also a Bombay historian of sorts. with books like Bombay then and now to his credit Naresh and I get on a phone call to talk about his eternal love jazz statues and busts the pressures of doing journalism and the joys of doing journalism in India today and a whole lot more I am Chirag Thakkar and this is Beyond the Lines Welcome to Beyond the Lines Naresh Thank you Chirag and for that very generous introduction It's uh, lovely to be on this call. <laughs> no, happy to have you here, Nareesh. Uh, now, for those of you listening in, I met Nareesh at his cozy Bandra flat in 2020, right before the pandemic hit us on a on a Sunday evening, in fact. And the poor thing, being a newsman, was keeping an eye on work and breaking news, as it were, and also made me the most wonderful cup of coffee over our chat. What took my fancy was his eclectic collection of busts and sculpture pieces, miniature statues, your little Gandhis and Ambedkars, and a whole lot of Shivajis and other icons of the 20th century, if I'm not wrong. For someone who's also a collector, and I collect matchboxes and wall masks and all sorts of crazy things, I was fascinated to find a fellow collector with a similar mania and obsession. I'm curious to know, Nareesh, why do you collect these, and what is your relationship to your collection? I wish I could call myself a collector, uh, but yeah, I'm sort of I'm a, I'm a hobbyist. And you know, the the, the funny thing about uh, starting any sort of collection is if you get two or three of a certain kind of thing, uh, people assume you are a collector and give you more. So my mum had three little elephants, and then people just started giving her <laughs> elephants as a thing. Uh, okay. I had once found uh, an Ambedkar bust that was made uh, by some uh, people doing plaster of Paris by the tracks and car station in Bombay. Uh, and uh, my friend Kai Fraser, I knew, was a collector, a genuine collector. So I decided to get uh, one for him, and uh, I decided I'd keep one myself. Uh, and it just began to take off from there. Uh, friends would generously begin to. see similar busts of all sorts of political figures and get them for me so my friend girish shahane for instance got me a wonderful uh, bust of uh, nelson mandela a statuette actually of a dancing smiling nelson mandela from south africa my friend somini sengupta when she went to shanghai carried back a fantastic mao uh, that's interesting so uh, yes and uh, now i realize i have uh, maybe three dozen of these things uh, and it's become a bit of a mania um every time i see something uh, often for instance i will be in an airport and uh, something will catch my eye as i'm flying to another place 
and like an idiot, I actually pick up this rather fragile uh, statuette and carry it wherever I'm going and then bring it all the way back. I, I've been interested in how uh, political representation works in a variety of, uh, uh, of registers. Um, and uh, often, especially with some figures from the past, uh, there are caricatures. I've been interested in, uh, you know, what sorts of figures can be caricatured and uh, which figures are almost deified. Uh, I have a couple of popes, for instance, uh, Francis, uh, which are sort of nodding pope. One is a nodding pope and one is a solar Francis. Right. If you put him in a sun, he begins to, to wave. Right. Uh, I have a whole bunch of American presidents who are caricatured. But uh, Indian leaders are rarely caricatured. Uh, we see them with a great deal of reverence. Right, right. I, I mean, we recently published this book, Gandhi in the Gallery, uh, which uh, looks at uh, a whole century um, of, of artists, photographers, uh, you know, visual artists, sculptors, painters, a whole bunch of those, and how they have just held Gandhi as a muse for so long because he's been one of the most revered mm. um, figures. And you'd be surprised as to how much money actually is there in, in this big gallery art. Of course, there's the bazaar art and street art and calendar art and all of those popular renditions because Gandhi is at police stations and public chalks and the statues and bus all over, but also really big it at the India Art Fair for that matter. And and many collections. Now, let's perhaps get to the book. Um, how did you chance upon Bombay Jazz as a subject? And how did the book come about? Did you always know that you want to write something like this? No, you know, uh, actually, um, I began to be interested in, uh, in Konkani pop music. Uh, I came across some records in, uh, the, in the Bombay flea market in Chor Bazaar uh, of uh, some of this stuff from the late 60s and early 70s and I was fascinated by just how contemporary it sounded for its time. It That's interesting. Sort of yeah. Very soulful. It had big horn sections and funky bass. And uh, as I began to interview musicians about how that uh, sound came about, uh, it led me to an earlier period in which jazz had been widely popular. Uh, and um, uh, sort of about 10 years ago, I think it was, uh, Denzel Smith, the Bombay actor and uh, director, decided that he wanted to turn one of these, uh, one of my pieces into a play for the Prithvi Festival that year, which, uh, was, uh, which had musicals as their themes. And he asked uh, Ramu Ramanathan, the playwright, to read these yes. pieces and uh, try to turn it into a narrative. And... Uh, you know, because uh, theater has no money, uh, he decided that it should be stripped and pared down and mm. that we would use uh, only two actors. And Ramo came up with the idea of uh, trying to introduce the context to this by asking people whose parents had been musicians uh, in the 40s and 50s whether we could uh, use their pictures and project them uh, on the on the backdrop to give the sense of something larger than just the two actors on stage. And so Denzel and Ramo began to look for people's pictures. Uh, and then we realized that there was a whole wealth of visual material out there. Uh, and then one thing led to the next as I began to 
accompany them to people's homes to scan in these pictures. People would produce uh, newspaper clippings uh, and also uh, program notes. And uh, it just grew and grew. Wow. I wish I could see this production. This is currently not um, not showing, I imagine. Is that something they plan to revive? You know, uh, it's it's a play uh, with the wonderful name of Jazz, a musical. And uh, they do a show uh, every now and then. Okay. Uh, it's it's traveled both, uh, I, I know, to several parts of the country, uh, but um, they seem to have a show in Bombay uh, every three or four months. Of course, the pandemic has now put paid to that. Uh, it started uh, with uh, Bhargava Krishnan, or Bugs as he's known, as one of the characters, uh, and the other, uh, and uh, now Denzel plays his character, uh, an older musician looking back uh, on his years, and with a young protege, uh, which who's played by Reese Sebastian. Uh, right. Reese is actually a saxophone player, and he embodies uh, the story uh, of this play because his uh, he is a third generation uh, jazz musician. His grandfather uh, was a legendary uh, uh, band leader and uh, arranger in the Hindi films. His name was Sebastian D'Souza. He arranged a lot of stuff for Shankar and Jai Kishan. So it's uh, almost history coming alive on stage when Reese begins to right. play his instrument. And, right. and that's how the book came about, is it? Like this is was your gateway into perhaps researching this some more and, and then that became the book, is it? Yeah, so, you know, uh, as we began to scan in the pictures, I thought perhaps we'd do a photo book because those photographs were so fabulous. Uh, but then as I began to stock my material, I realized that it was, about, that it was much more than just uh, these fantastic photographs, which do give a, a sense of the time, but that there were many more stories that couldn't be told just uh, visually. Uh, so... That's how the, the the book then began to take shape. I mean, it it was the the book was one of those written at a time that was a bit paradoxical. A lot of the people who had played uh, a part in that early age of jazz music uh, had passed on or were very old. I was able to interview really only two of them, uh, and not at any great uh, length because they were too sick uh, or too feeble to be able to talk to me. But uh, the internet had become much more sophisticated by the time I began to do this. And suddenly databases were coming online from around the world. And I was able to read newspapers from Shanghai and Paris and uh, Chicago uh, about some of the musicians who had uh, come to Bombay in the 30s. And I was also able to electronically access libraries around the world. So. Um, it was uh, one of those uh, ironies that I had a lot of textual material and historical material, but some of the voices uh, had uh, passed on by them. That's fascinating. One thing led to another. And here we have a fantastic book that's got so many awards and such critical acclaim. Um, Let's talk perhaps about Bombay, the city where you grew up, where I have grown up too, with its charms and chaos, its cruelty and catharsis. It's much talked about 
quote unquote cosmopolitan culture, it being the melting pot of ethnicities, etc. The city that never sleeps, the city of dreams, maximum city, the city of underworld dawns and mafias and gang wars of a certain time, of opium and slums. Of course, it has a wide range of images and stereotypes that stick to the city and some that don't, that have just been exploited to the extent of poverty porn. But one of the things that Bombay is never really called um, is a ticking time bomb. I wonder why Bombay and its impending climate emergency doesn't stick. Why is this not talked about at all or not as much? So I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a, uh, in addition to collecting these uh, little bus, political bus to spoke about, I'm also an avid collector of Bombay books. Uh, and on my shelf, I have a little subsection of Bombay books about how Bombay is about to die. Uh, and the earliest of these books uh, goes back to uh, a series of, of lectures and, and discussions that was held in the 1940s. Uh, but the idea that Bombay was going to die uh, was, sort of goes back even earlier. And Patrick Geddes, uh, the legendary uh, sort of sociologist, who was the first professor of sociology at Bombay University in the early years of the 20th century. Uh, he came to Bombay and held an exhibition about town planning and how Bombay could be revived. Um, a few years ago, I wrote a, a little biography of Bombay. Uh, and during the period in which I was researching it, about 18 years, uh, both the major magazines, uh, the news magazines, India Today and Outlook, had cover stories on Bombay's imminent demise. Uh, so it's clear that sort of this death has been foretold for very long, and uh, Bombay manages to, to survive regardless. Right, but it's still not in the popular imagination. Um, a sociological study or a stack of books um, now largely gone obscure or, or forgotten. Um, uh, there perhaps is a conversation, I think Amitabh Ghosh perhaps has also written on an occasion or two about how um, if this unplanned development goes the way it does and with the coastal road and everything, it doesn't look like it, it is in um, tandem with the ecology, etc that the city finds itself in and if further stealing of land, et cetera, and reclamation would only do more damage. I mean, this is this is the, the thing that really baffles me. I mean, you people can see this coastal road coming up. Uh, it is an ugly, ugly structure. And I'm, I haven't been able to explain why we haven't had the sort of massive uh, or large-scale protests um, unlike in the case of uh, just maybe two years ago, in the case of uh, uh, the protests against a metro car shed that was coming up at Are, and a lot of people, young people, came out to yes. protest the destruction of forest land. But yes. the same uh, sort of constituency is not mobilized against the very obvious uh, uh, sort of environmental degradation that will accompany uh, the, the coastal road. Um, I don't have an answer to, to why that has happened or not happened. No, I, I understand. Not all of us have the answers here in this case. Nanisha, you're also a new newsman and everybody knows in that sense, you've been prolific in the kind of work that Stroll.in and your team puts out. Um, we're also witnessing a, an interesting moment in, in India where Freedom of expression, freedom of speech, uh, civil liberties are, are curbed to 
the craziest imaginable uh, levels possible. We're at a time where journalists are routinely threatened, news businesses are routinely threatened. So perhaps um, share your thoughts on the pressures and joys of doing news in India, in today's India. Yeah, I think um, we're, as you pointed out, we're at that uh, moment where uh, the ruling establishment uh, and its supporters are so um, enthusiastic about uh, trying to project the virtues of uh, uh, their, their leader and their party. They refuse to listen to other points of view and see other facets of what this kind of model that they are implementing uh, has resulted in. And this can only be to our, uh, to our detriment. We are not uh, looking at the, the pitfalls of uh, what's happening. Uh, we refuse to see what happened to the, 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 the great human cost of demonetization, for instance, which everybody hailed as a masterstroke. Uh, we ignored uh, the in enormous human cost of uh, the badly planned lockdown against coronavirus almost exactly a year ago. It's almost as if we're willing to uh, let other people pay uh, the price for what was complete uh, adulation uh, of, of a leader and uh, of an ideology. Uh, and um, this is going to build up and, you know, in, 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 in some time, uh, it's all going to, uh, we will pay a, a very terrible price for uh, not um, looking at, um, for, for, for not being honest. Right. So we could now move on to our segment, Get to Know Your Author, where we um, ask you, where I ask you a whole bunch of rapid fire questions and you barely get seconds to respond to these. Yeah. So you, <laughs> I'm very bad at this. <laughs> yeah, we're all bad at this, but let's give it a shot. Um, all right. So Jerry Pinto, Kiran Nagarkar, Shanta Gokhale, the better writer. You can't make me do that. <laughs> I okay. refuse. Your favorite writer. How about your favorite writer from these three? All of them are, uh, are, 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 are very good in, uh, in, in what they do. And That's I, a diplomatic response. Come so on, I'm one. not going to dip my toe into this water, <laughs> sir. I bet they're not going to listen to this. <laughs> no, no. All right. <laughs> Louis Armstrong or Leon Abbey, who would you be best friends with if you had a chance? Oh, uh, Leon Abbey, I think, uh, because uh, just because he was in Bombay, I'd have had the chance to meet him. Uh, and I would have loved to uh, understand uh, what was going through his head, this black man who traveled the world in, in the 1920s and 1930s, taking jazz to Latin America and to Europe and then to Asia. All right, fair enough. An overrated Indian journalist. Uh. <laughs> I could give you a hint in my next question, but I, I let you pick it up. <laughs> Come on, there's so many. Okay, I'm going to pass on this one to Chirag. Sorry. All right, I'll give you a hint. Um, would you rather not have taste and smell uh, for six months or rather be trapped in a room with Arnab Goswami for 24 hours? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry I, I asked. <laughs> I, 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 I choose the first one. I, yeah? I, 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 I didn't think of Arnab uh, as, as an answer to the first question because, of course, 
Adnan is a news anchor. He's an announcer. One doesn't think of him immediately as a journalist. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, two writers that influenced you deeply. Um, Amitabh Ghosh and uh, Ramchandra Guha. Fantastic. If you were an instrument, Naresh, what instrument would you be? Oh God. Uh, <laughs> Probably uh, a trumpet, since uh, many of my friends uh, claim that I keep blowing my own a lot. Okay, okay, that's an interesting one. A skill that you're terrible at, but wish you were good at. Uh, answering rapid-fire questions. <laughs> you got me there. A travel destination you cannot wait to go to. I would love to go to uh, uh, Salvador de Bahia in Brazil. Sure. Uh, mainly because uh, during the carnival, they mm. have a samba group called the Filios de Gandhi, the Sons mm. of Gandhi. Mm. Uh, they were formed in 1948 mm. uh, after Gandhi's death uh, assassination. They were a group of longshoremen who okay. had uh, a reputation for being violent. And they decided that they would take the name of Gandhi and they march in the samba parade uh, in, the, in, the, the, in the carnival every year. Hundreds of them uh, wearing blue and white turbans and uh, little white skirts that they think resemble dhotis. And I want to see this. I want to hear them. Yeah, I hope that happens for you. A guilty pleasure you're not really guilty of. Oh, God. Pastries. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a glutton. I love sweets. Okay. Uh, 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 especially uh, bibinka. But, ah. uh, I, I can't eat enough of it and I'm not allowed to. I, I shouldn't be eating too much of it. That's the Goan delicacy, isn't it? Yes, uh, a thing of beauty and joy. <laughs> well, Naresh, this has been fun. Thank you so much for coming to Beyond the Lines. This has been a great chat. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you everyone for listening in. This was Beyond the Lines by Roli. If you liked this show, then subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts and check out all our books on rolibooks.com. That is R-O-L-I-B-O-O-K-S dot com. Since you are here, you can get a 20% discount on all the featured books in this podcast series with a special coupon code BTL20 on cmykbookstore.com. That is cmykbookstore.com. We'll be back soon with our next episode. In the meantime, do tell others about our podcast and stay tuned. <laughs>